You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A dot com. Now uh, we get to the Word, this new Advent series, which we're calling The Dawn of Redeeming Grace. And our text is found near the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 1, uh, verses 18 to 25. If you are able, uh, please stand, would you, for the reading of God's Word. It's printed for you in the bulletin if you don't have uh, a Bible. You can follow it there. This is God's Word. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's, let's pray. Lord, would you please open our hearts and our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit today, that as your word is proclaimed, we may hear, including the preacher, with joy, what you say to us today, for Jesus' sake, amen. Well, as, uh, as Pastor James intimated, uh, Joseph... Uh, the husband of Mary and the stepfather of Jesus, is the silent player in the Christian drama, Christmas drama. Uh, we, we have zero recorded words of Joseph in the scriptures. None. But Joseph's silence uh, belies his importance. I know few people who speak as loudly uh, as Joseph does without speaking, uh, his actions uh, say it all. So we're going to look today and unpack this part of the Christmas story, which involves Joseph, uh, by asking and answering the text two questions. Asking the text and answering from the text two questions. First, w- what does this episode reveal about Jesus? Right After all, Jesus Christ is the point of the story. What does this part of the episode, what does this episode reveal about Jesus? And then second, 
what do we learn from Joseph about what it means for you to live by faith in Jesus? I think you'll find, like I have found this week, that Joseph is a pretty great teacher. Okay? So, first, what does this episode reveal about Jesus Christ? Well, many things. Let's put them under three three headings. First, creation. Second, origin. And then third, mission. Creation, origin, and mission. First, creation. Verse 18, the one we started with, reads, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Literally says, now the genesis of Jesus Christ uh, took place this way. Uh, Like he did in his opening genealogy, which we looked at last week, Matthew is tying Christmas to creation. Not that Jesus was created at Christmas. Jesus is an uncreated being. He pre-existed his birth. But when Jesus was born, uh, he, he did inaugurate a new creation. He is the new Adam in this new creation. The new Adam who will succeed where the first Adam failed. And maybe you're asking, well, so what? I mean, right, how does that impact me? Well, it means... For one, that uh, if you have a past that you believe disqualifies you from God loving you, you're wrong. New creation means your past has no power. If you come to Jesus in faith, you will be, what did Jesus say? Born again. Talk about a new start, right? Born again. Paul said it to the Corinthian church. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that is if you are believing in Jesus, if you are living by faith in Jesus, if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed away, but behold, the new has come. You know, a witness protection program can do a lot, right? They can give you a brand new identity. They can give you a new name, a new driver's license, a new social security number, new address, new job. But you're still you. And you're still bound by your past. Right? Even in the witness protection program, you're always looking over your shoulder. You're always uh, wondering when the, when the next shoe will drop. When will they find you? When will your past catch up with you? But Jesus Christ actually makes you a new person. Right? It's not just window dressing. It's not stuff on the outside, you become a new person. Your past, the old you, is gone. So I want you to hear this at Christmas time, friends. If you're here today, you're not a Christian, I want you to know that, there, that you are not, there's nothing in your past that puts you out of the reach of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. You can come to Him. And he will not turn you away. 
But it also means, listen, that because this is such an extensive process, right, new creation, uh, it means that Jesus cannot and will not just be a sort of convenient add-on to your life, right? He won't be your executive assistant, and some people try to treat Jesus like that, right? Look, at Jesus is not about making your life better. He's about making you new. And if you're going to deal with Jesus, he's going to come in and he's going to completely take you over and remake you, right? There's no dancing around the margins with Jesus. You're either all in or you're not in at all. Jesus is making all things new. So that's the first thing we learned. Second, origin. Two times here, verse, uh, once in verse 18 and once in verse 20, uh, we're told uh, that Jesus comes from the Holy Spirit. Matthew is wanting us to make sure we know uh, that Jesus' origin is a divine one. He's not the product of human reproduction in some mysterious way, but wonderful way. Uh, the Holy Spirit took the second person of the Trinity in all of his power, all of his glory, all of his strength and might and infinity and reduced him down to a single human cell and implanted him in the womb of a young virgin woman. Bottom line, Jesus is God. And that makes him qualitatively different from Gautama Buddha, from Confucius, from Moses, from Muhammad, from Joseph Smith, and from virtually every other religious leader in history, all of whom in one way or another taught their way to God. But Jesus comes and says, I am God. You come to God through me. Because I am God. Now this is, this is one of the hard things, right? If you're a non-Christian here, you've just heard a really neat thing, a wonderful thing, that your past doesn't prevent you from coming to Jesus. But you might, you might bristle at this, right? Because this is, this is the nub of so much uh, disagreement with Christianity, so much resistance to Christianity. I've, I have a number of friends who, who uh, w- will turn away from Christianity at just uh, this point. It's, um, you know, they'll say, you know, you're Christ- Christ- you're, as a Christian, you're so intolerant of other people's beliefs. You're so uh, unaccepting uh, and narrow about other faiths. Uh, your insistence that Christianity is is the is the way to God is insulting, uh, and it's uh, and it's uh, intolerant. Well, we're not being that way 
because we want to be that way. <laughs> right? We're, we're, we are necessarily exclusive and narrow, if those are the words you want to label us with, be, simply because Jesus made these exclusive, staggering claims about himself. He unapologetically claimed to be the Lord. But he did more than that, right? He backed up those claims with with truly transcendent teaching, with amazing miracles, and with uh, the capstone, uh, his resurrection from the dead. All of which were eyewitnessed in history. Much of the New Testament is, is really that collected eyewitness testimony. And so if Jesus is who he claimed to be, and based on the testimony we believe he is, then his way to God has to exclude all others. He is God. Okay? So that's creation, that's origin, uh, and now third, mission. What did Jesus come to do? Right? Well, the mission's actually pretty clearly expressed here in Joseph's dream, verse 21. What's the mission? He will save his people from their sins. Now, at that time, that might have been surprising. It probably was surprising. Um, might have been surprising to Joseph that this is the mission of this Messiah, that he would save his people from their sins. Because the Jews, like Joseph, were, were mostly looking for a Messiah who would save them from enemies. Right, who would save them from foreign invaders, who would save them from evil and immoral people out there. That doesn't make the Jews unique. We tend to look for those same kind of saviors today, too. We do, right? And we tr try to find them in presidents and in generals. But Jesus' mission is fundamentally about saving his people, not from people out there, but from themselves. His mission is about saving his people from themselves. The Christian message, of course, is that ultimately there will be deliverance from all evil. But that remains a future reality, right? Before that happens... Jesus has to save you and me from ourselves, from our sins. That, that would have been the first surprise. The second surprise is how Jesus would do that. And, and there is um, there's a suggestion of that here. Um, because if his mission is to save people from their sins, what would, jo what, what would a faithful Jew like Joseph 
know about that. If, if, if the Messiah is to come and forgive me my sins, what w- it, what is mis- what's going to have to happen? Well, what would Joseph know? He knows that forgiveness for him comes through what? The temple sacrifices, right? These lambs and goats and oxen, oxen and bulls that are, that are, that are sacrificed on the altar in the temple, right? Joseph, it wasn't written yet, but Joseph would have agreed with Hebrews in, uh, in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 22, which says, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Jews would have known that. Joseph uh, would have known that. And so if the Messiah is come to forgive us of our sins, is he going to come and kill more goats? Right? You know, he knew that wouldn't do it. If he's going to come and be with us and save us from our sins, will he have to shed his blood? I don't know if Joseph asked that question, but if he did, we know what the answer is. Yes, right? That's why Jesus came to save us from our sins, and it's how he did it, by shedding his own blood. The Messiah is also, amazingly, the sacrifice. Just to bring this home, do you see yourself as someone who needs saving from yourself? I mean, do you, do you recognize that you have a terminal sin problem? Do you know you're a sinner? Again, this is another place where my friends rise up in, 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 um, in fury sometimes about the you know the, the 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 good news because they're saying look you're you're pushing Jesus as a savior i don't need saving i don't need saving from my sins maybe you think that to the extent you're here and you're thinking that today you're never going to get Jesus you won't understand christmas jesus came to save sinners not to improve good people As I was reflecting on it, on what Jesus' mission was and how he accomplished it, I, 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 uh, I thought of another carpenter's son, uh, a fellow named Private First Class Desmond Doss, actually the son of a carpenter. Do you recognize that name, Desmond Doss? Uh, you may have read, there's some books about him. There was a movie made about him oh, six years ago or so, uh, called Hacksaw Ridge. Desmond Doss uh, was a believer in Jesus Christ. He was also a conscientious objector, which made him very unpopular uh, because this was World War II and conscientious objectors weren't, weren't, weren't appreciated. His Christian convictions were such that he would not engage in violence. He would not use a weapon. He wouldn't carry a weapon. So he signed up for the army, but he, 
as a conscientious objector, he, he signed up as an army medic. And in the 1945 Battle of Okinawa, brutal battle near the end of the war, uh, Private First Class Desmond Doss went behind enemy lines and stayed there, behind enemy lines, after everyone else was, had either died or had retreated, except the wounded lying on the field who were powerless to save themselves. And Ed Desmond Doss stayed with them, and he single-handedly saved 75 men. The only conscientious objector in history to win the Congressional Medal of Honor. It's, it's an amazing thing. The, the, the battlefield was on top of a cliff, and the most the American army had, that wasn't dead had retreated over ropes down this cliff. And, and, and Desmond Doss, unarmed, saved 75 men. He'd run to the edge of the cliff, tie this guy in a rope, and lower him down, and then run back and find another guy to lower him down. It's an amazing, amazing story. And it's a reflection of Jesus, isn't it? And Jesus' mission by a Jesus follower. Desmond Doss committed to stay with, with people that were powerless to save themselves. And in completing his mission, he was, he was sorely wounded. He, a bullet broke his arm, and he, and he got 17 pieces of shrapnel in him from a grenade. Um, but he survived. Um, Jesus uh, wasn't just wounded. In order to complete his mission to save you, to save me, he was killed. And it is remembering that. It's remembering the mission and remembering what Jesus did to accomplish the mission that helps you and me stay committed to Jesus, right? When the going gets tough, we think about what Jesus went through to, to, to bring us to himself, and that helps us stay in the game, stay committed, which Speaking of that, moves us to the second question, right? What does this text reveal to us about what it is to follow Jesus by faith? What is it to be, for you to be uh, committed to Jesus and live by faith in Jesus? Well, let me quickly just identify four, four things I think it means we learn from Joseph here about following Jesus. Living your faith in Jesus today. Um, you know, we only have two birth accounts in the, in the uh, Bible. We got Matthew's, and then we have Luke's. Luke's the better known one. Um, and in Luke's account, do you remember what the angel said to the shepherds? Right? He said, I bring you good news of great joy. Right? And then when we sing the Christmas carol, um, uh, God rest ye merry gentlemen, right? we sing uh, tidings of comfort and joy. Okay. And it, you know, there's no question that, that Christmas is about good news of great joy. It, it, it really is an announcement of comfort and joy. But it hit me as I was meditating on this text this week that Christmas for Joseph 
was not good news of great joy. It was not, you know, he did not receive glad tidings of comfort and joy, right? What did he hear? He probably heard it from his fiancée herself. I, can't, I don't know how else he would have found out. But he heard that his fiancée was pregnant. And he knew he wasn't the father. Merry Christmas. Right? I mean, this, this was shattering bad news. This was the worst news. This is life trashing news, right? Here's the first thing we learned from Joseph. Listen, because a lot of you are here. Sometimes, sometimes, before God takes you to the next level of service for Him, before God takes you to the next level of knowledge of Him or intimacy with Him, He knocks you down first. That's the normal pattern. For followers of Jesus, for you and me, living by faith in Jesus, the normal pattern of our walk with Him is suffering first, then glory. It's being humbled and then exalted. That's how it was for Jesus. That's how it was for Joseph. That's how it is with you and me. So listen, friends, if the Lord is taking you into some deep waters right now, and I know that he is for many of you, this won't, take, this won't make the water shallower or take the pain out of it. But let me encourage you to be looking for the glory. to be looking for the exaltation because it's going to be there. You're going to come out through this on the other side one way or another. Jesus is faithful. He'll do it. Second thing we learn from Joseph here about following Jesus by faith that when we do it, right? When we're when we're trying to live, do our best to live by faith in Jesus, when we're doing our best, right, we're ref- we reflect Jesus' character, don't we? You know, my, my best days are when, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I manage, maybe for five minutes, to reflect the character uh, of Jesus. And part of reflecting that character is being just and merciful at the same time. Look at Joseph, verse 19. What's it say about him? Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. You see it right there, right? Joseph was a just man. He, why? How was he just? He was just in seeking to obey the law, God's law, by divorcing who he believed to be an adulterous woman. By the way, by implication, this sort of means, and I'm sure 
when he found out that she was pregnant, he probably got her version of who the father was, and he's not buying it. So he was just. He was, he was going to obey the law and break this relationship off with this adulterous woman. He believed to be adulterous. But at the same time, he was merciful, wasn't he? He was merciful because he was unwilling to shame her. He was merciful in his commitment to do what he had to do quietly rather than publicly. He didn't post it on Instagram. Remember what we said last week? Mercy without justice is, I think I said mush or slush or something. It's just sentimentality. But justice without mercy is unloving harshness. You've got to have both. Jesus had both simultaneously, right? And we see that, as we said last week, preeminently at the cross. The cross is where the justice and the mercy of God intersect, right? Jesus is hanging there as an act of justice. But he's hanging there as an act of mercy because it's him hanging there instead of you. And since we're beneficiaries of that justice and mercy from Jesus, then we need to be dispensers, reflectors of that same justice and mercy. Right? So we don't cancel people. Right? Canceling people isn't being just and merciful. Right? We treat people like Jesus treats us, with justice and mercy. Reflecting God's character. Third thing we learn about following Jesus by faith from Joseph is that if we're really going to follow Jesus, we're in this, we're all in. And we're serious about following Jesus. We have to be willing to die to our agendas, to our comforts, to our status, to our reputation, and to our convenience. For the sake of love, for the sake of God's kingdom. We know from what the angel said to Joseph in verse 20 that Joseph was afraid to take Mary as his wife. Now, what was he afraid of? We're not actually told, but I think we can infer it. He was, from, his, from the fact that he was just, we can infer that he was, in, in part, afraid of the Lord. He was afraid of violating God's law. He, he, he was, uh, uh, you know. But on the other hand, because he thought she was an adulteress, right? But more than that, He was afraid to take Mary as his wife because he was afraid what that would mean for him. What the consequences of that would be for him. 
He knew that if he committed himself to Mary and her baby, there would be huge sacrifices, huge sacrifices. He knew that, you know, he apparently hadn't believed her story. He figured, look, most of the community is not going to believe Mary's story. That I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Right? Uh, and, and we know, in fact, that they didn't. How do we know that? Because even as an adult, Jesus was still labeled as an illegitimate, as a, as a you know, illegitimate person, right? A, a son of illegitimate uh, birth. So if that charge followed Jesus into adulthood, you know it followed Mary, and you know it had to have followed Joseph. Joseph went forward here, committing himself to Mary and her baby, fully knowing that his reputation would never be the same. And if his reputation would never be the same, his work would never be the same. Right? His relationship with his friends would never be the same. He wasn't willing to shame Mary, but he was willing to bear shame for her and her stepson. That's a remarkable and beautiful thing. He knew also, didn't he, that his life wouldn't be his anymore. He had to have known. I mean, at least, at least somewhat, because he's being, it's being revealed to him that this baby is in fact divinely, has a divine origin. This baby's divine. It's to be the son of God. Uh, and so, so he knows that in some way, if I'm committing myself to this woman and this baby, I, you know, my life really won't be mine my, anymore. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be sacrificing my rights as, in, in a way as a parent, right? And, it be, and so it was. I mean, it, it happened immediately. We already see it in, the, in this dream revelation, right? He's told what name he's going to give his son. Right? If somebody came to me and said, you know, I see Linda's pregnant. This years ago now. Uh, here's what you're going to name your kid. What would I do? I mean, I'd rise up and say, "What? Who are you to tell me that?" Right? Right. One of the fundamental rights of a parent is to place the name on their child. Right? It's one of the blessings. And already, as he commits himself to Jesus, he loses that right. That's not his right to name this child. And we know, he didn't know, but we know, because we know how the story goes, that soon his, his, commit, his decision to commit himself to this mission, to Mary and to her son, uh, would... Um, would take the decision about where he and his family live out of his hands. He would soon be a refugee in Egypt. 
You know, he would soon come back and, and be forced to relocate to, to Nazareth. Joseph was discovering that in following Jesus, my life isn't my own anymore. It's been bought with a price. Same is true for you, friends. And if you find that unfair or you find it objectionable, remember, remember that God is not asking of you anything that he hasn't hasn't already required of his own son. Jesus was for you despised, rejected. He became a man of sorrows. He became acquainted with grief. He bore your grief. He carried your sorrows. He was crushed for your sin. So that you could have peace with God. Knowing that, right? Knowing what He did for us is what enables us to do the hard thing of dying to ourselves. You know, and Joseph was really doing some hard things here. And then finally, the fourth thing that we learn from Joseph about following Jesus by faith is that. Following Jesus means lifting up God, not insisting on your rights. I noticed something for the first time here. Uh, you've probably seen it, but I had not. I've, I've, I, I just overlooked this in all the years of, of reading this familiar text. But in, in verse 24, it says that when Joseph woke up from this dream, revelation dream, um, he's, he, you know, he's, he's a picture of obedience, right? It says, he did what the angel commanded. And which is what? What did the angel command? He took Mary as his wife and he gave, he, he named his son Jesus, right? That's what the angel had commanded. But verse 25 says that he did something else that apparently the angel didn't command him to do. And what was that? Right? Not knowing Mary until Jesus was born, right? Nice, polite, biblical reference, right? Not having marital relations with Mary until Jesus was born. Now that's fascinating, right? Because he was now married to her. He wasn't just betrothed her, he took her as his wife. Uh, To have had those marital relations, of course, would not have been wrong, wouldn't have been unlawful, wouldn't have been sinful. Mary was his wife. But Joseph here did not insist on what he could lawfully do. It's interesting. And why? He backed off. Why? Well, we're not told, right? But I think it's a fair inference that that Joseph did it to glorify God. He did it to make sure that God would get all the credit here. 
Joseph was captured by what God was doing in the world or was going to do in the world through this baby. And he was willing to decrease his rights if that would increase God's glory. Are you? Are you? It's hard now. I mean, we live in a, in a country, in a culture, in a time where, where life is all about insisting on rights. Where even followers of Jesus are increasingly known publicly as people who fight for their rights rather than give them up in sacrificial love for other people. We've got a great political reputation as people who will stand up and fight for our rights, but but we're not so well known for our self-giving, self-dying love for other people. Right? This applies in our homes, right? Between husbands and wives and parents and children, between parents and in-laws, And it also applies in the political arena. Look, there is nothing wrong, hear me out, there's nothing wrong in in standing up for one's rights. It's not wrong, it's not sinful, sometimes it is absolutely necessary and non-negotiable. But... But we need to be thoughtful about it. You know, that's another thing Joseph was, thoughtful. You know, he didn't take quick action here. You know, I think if Joseph had had been living in the 21st century, he would have just immediately posted, you know, Mary's sins on uh, on uh, social media and and uh, been done with it. But he 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 waited. He considered. It says right as he. Uh, as he considered these things, verse 20s, he considered these things. Very interesting uh, word there that, that means he thought deeply. You know? And, and you just, you wonder, because he knew, he had to have known Mary, and he's going, you know, something's just not adding up here. Something's not adding up. Something's, there's something I'm missing here, so I'm, gonna, I'm not going to immediately take action. I'm thinking about this for a while. That's smart. That's wise. And, and that's what we need. We need, like Joseph, to be thoughtful about our rights. And in, and, and in thinking about our rights, remember who we serve. You know. When is it necessary to stand up? When is it maybe not necessary to stand up? When is it better to surrender rights than to insist on them? I suspect me even asking those questions, would, some American Christians would find that objectionable. And I understand. I understand that because I know that it looks weak. But that's what Christians do. That's what Christians are. We are weak. It's in our weakness that the power of God becomes manifest. It's in our weakness that God does his best work. Look at the manger. Look at the cross. Let's pray. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for...
for Joseph, this, this dad of few words, um, for his wisdom and his thoughtfulness and his justice and his mercy, just the way he reflects you. And as we read Matthew's account of him, we can see why you selected him to be the stepfather of Jesus, to be the one with Mary who would raise Jesus to adulthood. Thank you. Thank you for his example of faithfulness. And uh, help us, Lord, like, like Joseph, to be faithful followers of Jesus who, who gave up so much for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California, or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church Escondido reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.